You ever had a situation in your life, a time in your life where you were working on something and one little part broke and when that one little part broke, everything came unraveled? Now I'm talking about like you're uh, trying to fix something in your house or maybe it's on your car and it's like you got that one little piece you got to get in there and if you're like me, you got butterfingers and you drop that one little piece and then you can't find it and everything comes apart. I remember a few years back, I guess it was about six or seven years ago, I was on my way to make a hospital visit at Baptist East. And I was sitting on Walnut Grove waiting to turn left into Baptist Hospital. And if you know, Walnut Grove is a pretty busy street. And right as I went to turn into Baptist Hospital, my truck said, and here I was in the middle of opposing traffic trying to turn left, and my truck's going, and it wasn't like my truck was a beater. It wasn't like I had a lot of problems with it, but something was going on. And over the course of the next about two weeks, I started going through all kinds of things, trying to figure out what it was that was causing my what used to be a perfectly normal, great running truck to suddenly sputter every time I pulled up to a stoplight and every time I took my foot off the gas. And so I started replacing part after part, oxygen sensors and all these different things, and spent a few hundred dollars before I finally realized I can't do this. I don't know what is wrong with this. I'm going to have to take it to the dealer. Dum, 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 you know. And of course, that's never a cheap trip. But you know, all those things I did didn't do me any good. I had to take it to the one place where they could tell me what was wrong with it. And of all the parts that I changed, none of them were related to what was wrong with it. It was one little thing. It was a, it was a manifold leak or something like that, something I couldn't fix on my own. That one little problem caused a great truck to suddenly be not so great. And in our spiritual walk, in our spiritual growth, Sometimes it can be one little thing that can derail us. It can be one thing that causes the whole process to come to a halt. If you remember last week, we talked about our growth, our spiritual growth, and we looked at Scripture and how that we can really look at spiritual growth as occurring in a cycle. That cycle being that as we increase in biblical knowledge, we grow in faith. And as our faith grows, it then transforms our character. And as our character grows... It then produces action as we begin to live in obedience to God. And as we live in obedience, we begin to have an even greater desire to get back into the Word of God, and it all begins again. And it's this constant process of growing. But unfortunately, sometimes one little problem can cause it to all come unraveled. For instance, maybe we read the Bible, but it doesn't translate into faith. We read that promise in God's Word, but we think, you know what, I don't think God can fulfill that. I don't think God's going to do that for me. We have doubts in our hearts. That head knowledge doesn't translate to heart knowledge. Or maybe we read and we believe and we say, no, I trust that God's going to do this, but maybe there's something in our character that isn't transformed. A besetting sin, an attitude problem, a blind spot in our character. That closet in our life that we don't want to let God into. Or maybe we read, maybe we believe, and maybe we do truly want to pursue holiness, but we fail to act. Maybe it's out of fear. Maybe it's because of anxiety or apathy or laziness. Maybe we just don't know what to do. Or maybe you live in obedience. Maybe you do all these things, but yet, for some reason, the devil throws cold water on your heart. And you just lose the desire to grow. Maybe you share your faith with someone and they reject you. And you think, well, what, what was that? What good did that do? Or maybe you do the right thing. You live by the word of God, but yet 
things don't turn out so good. The truth is, one little thing can take us off of that process. So how do we keep growing? This week and next week, I want to look at those four things. Character, faith, or knowledge, faith, character, and action. Specifically, I want us to answer the question, what can we do to ensure on our part, knowing that our growth comes from the Holy Spirit, but what do we need to be doing so that we will continue to grow? So let's look first at knowledge. Now, I would hope that it would be common sense, and I believe it most likely is common sense for everyone in this room today. You are here today because you desire to learn the Word. I would believe it's common sense that you would say that increasing in biblical knowledge is a good thing. It is a good thing to learn more of the Word of God. We can, all, we can all say that, right? Amen? But just in case there's someone in here that doubts that, let's go to Psalm 119. I want us to look at a few verses in this chapter just to make sure that we're all on the same page. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. And I think it's interesting that the longest chapter in the Bible is focused on the greatness of God's Word. That every single verse, or at least every pair of verses, comes right back to the blessings of living by God's commands. And so I want to just look at this. I know we're not going to, no way we're going to read through this whole chapter. That would take us probably the rest of the morning. But I want us just to look at a sampling of the verses from here and see what it says we get when we read and live by the Word of God. So we're just going to jump around. So verse 1. It says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. So what do we learn first? That when we walk in the law of the Lord, when we live by God's word, we become blameless people. Not that we're perfect by any means, but that is the only way to pleasing God is to live according to the word of God. Skip down to verse 6. It says, then I shall not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. And so living by the word of God and knowing it keeps us from shame. Look at verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so how can we live a life that doesn't fall into sin? By knowing the word of God. Skip down to verse 29. Put, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. And so the Word of God keeps us from falsehood. Skip down to verse 41. It says, Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. This is probably the greatest news of all, that salvation comes through the Word of God. And then let's skip down to verse 105, just one more. You probably have this one memorized. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so what is it that gives us guidance? The Word of God. Now we could go to other places in the Bible, and we could see this same lesson taught. Again, for instance, we could go to John chapter 1, which tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say that the Word of God came to dwell among us in flesh. His name was Jesus. And so we learn there that it is through the Word that we come to know Christ. Or we could go to Matthew chapter 4, which tells of the time when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, and we could learn that it's through the Word of God that we fight temptation. But I think you get the point, hopefully, is that we live by the Word of God, and we cannot expect to grow unless we're on a steady diet of the Word. We concern ourselves as parents with what our kids eat. 
Sometimes we concern ourselves with what we eat. And we know that a healthy diet will produce a healthy body. And a healthy diet of Scripture will produce a healthy heart. In fact, we cannot expect to grow without that steady diet. And there is no way that we can know the God of the Word unless we are consuming the Word of God. And so then the question becomes, what are we doing? What are you as an individual doing so that tomorrow you know more of this than you did today? And the next day you know more of it than you did that day. And what are we doing as families to ensure that our kids, whether they are toddlers, whether they are preschool, elementary school, middle school, high school, college students, if they are still under our roof, our grandkids still coming to our houses, if they are still at a place where we are able to influence them, what are we doing to ensure that they are growing in their understanding of the Word? Flip with me back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We looked at this passage last week, but we're going to look at it again to an extent today. Deuteronomy 6. I think it's going to be on the screen as well. We're going to read down through verse 7. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you shall, today shall be on your heart. So the word must come in to us. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So I want to give us four practical steps very quickly to how we can, we can grow in our knowledge of the Word. And it begins with the most common step, step of all, is that we need to be reading the Bible, both individually and as a family. I think of that passage there where it says that, that these commandments shall be on your heart. As Baptists, we make a big deal about doing a quiet time. Brother Jack preached a message on it about three or four weeks ago, the importance of doing a quiet time. And there's good reason for that because it is so valuable to our faith to be in the Word. Never is a moment wasted that is spent in the Word of God. We can waste time a lot of other ways, but we will never waste a minute spent reading and consuming the Word of God. Now, many people will say, I don't know where to start. I can, I can admit, I can agree, this is a very big book, and we can be intimidated by it and think, where do I go? Where do I begin? If you don't know where to begin, let me just give you some ideas. If you go to Sunday school, which I hope that you do, and if you don't, you ought to try it out. You can talk to Gary. He can help you find a class. If you go to Sunday school, take that quarterly and go to the back page of the quarterly, I believe it is, and there is a reading plan that will take you in small chunks through every book that we're studying in Sunday school. What a tremendous way to keep yourself, your mind focused on what's going to be taught on Sunday that you are reading through that same book. Now, if that doesn't fit your fancy, you can go out in the lobby. I, think, I believe Brother Jack's still got some handouts on how to do a quiet time. He's got ideas in there. You know, if you're a digital person, there's an app that you can use. It's called the Version Bible app. It looks like that. You probably have it on your phone. I, have, I, I tell you what, our phones, our iPads can be tremendous things. They can be bad things, but they can also be really good. And this is one way that they can be really good. This, this particular app has almost every translation you could possibly imagine. Thousands of reading plans. Last year, in 2016, I did the one-year Bible, um, and I used, I, I did my quiet time on my iPad, and I, it, it maps it all out for you. It gives you the passage to read every single day. It's tremendous, tremendous way 
So do something to get yourself in the Word of God. But don't just do something by yourself. I believe it's valuable that the passage here is teaching us that we need to be talking about the Word of God, reading it together as families. That every single week, at some point in that week, hopefully multiple times during that week, we sit down as households and we discuss the Word of God. That we open it, that we read it, that we pray through the Word of God. Let me just tell you what we do in our house. It's not perfect, but it works for us. And maybe it'll give you an idea. At least three times a week, Kim and I try to sit down together. Usually it's at night, just before we go to bed. And we try to discuss one chapter a week. We take one chapter a week and we read that chapter every day. Now you may think, that's awful slow. But remember, the, the point is not speed. The point is, is getting to know the Word, right? And so we sit like we've been going through the book of James. And for one week straight, we read the book of James every single day. And at the beginning of the week, we sit down and we do what we call first take. And we just say, what is the first thing we took from that as I read it? Simple. It doesn't take usually 10, 15 minutes. We sit there and talk about it and pray about it. And then about halfway through the week, we dig a little deeper. And we sit down and we think, okay, what is that thing as I've been reading this chapter over and over again, which this will happen, something will keep nagging at your heart. There will be something in that chapter that God will keep putting in front of your eyes that you say, I cannot ignore this. So we talk about it. And then at the end of the week, we sit down again and we ask ourselves this question. How have I been living this chapter this week? Or how do I need to live it next week? Now here's the point. It doesn't require any prep. It doesn't require any studying of any other books. Read the Bible and allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you. Now for us as a family, you know, we have twin five-year-olds and it can be a little hairy to try to get five-year-olds to sit still for anything. And so at this point in our life, we are kind of shotgun in what we do, but we do try to do something at least three times a week, four times a week maybe if we're lucky, where we sit down and we read a devotional guide. If you have little kids, I would tell you a couple things that are really good. Number one is there is a book and a DVD that goes with it called The Biggest Story. And I love it. It is great. Our kids love it. And it takes, it's in 30 minutes on this video, it takes your kids through the entire story of Scripture from beginning to end. It's very colorful, very creative, but it walks them through the entire Bible in the process of 30 minutes and helps them to see how it all fits together and how Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. It's tremendous. For my five-year-olds, they sit there and watch it, and they ask so many questions. We have another book that's called the Jesus Storybook Bible that we sit down and read. Kim was reading to, to them last night, and they were just laughing. They were, they were eating it up. And so if you're a parent, I, I say, dig, like, try things out. You go down to our library. We just put a, a ton of new family devotional idea things in our library that you can go check out and, and try in your house and find something that works. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to take you a lot of prep time. Just do something because something is better than nothing. The other day I went fishing in my neighborhood and... Uh, we have a little pond, there's like, there's two ponds, and I went back to this back pond where I usually can catch some fish, and it's kind of hard to get to it, and as I was going around to this pond, there was a, there was a uh, spot where I always slide my kayak down to the water, and as I did, I noticed there was this tree that there was some branches that had fallen out of it, and so I thought, well, that's kind of interesting, why would someone come back here and trim these trees? This is like way back almost in the woods, who cares? So I got in there, and I fished for a while, and then as I was coming out, I noticed this tree, and I don't know if you can really tell in this picture, but I noticed that this was not a man that did this. This was a beaver. 
Because I'd seen a little beaver hut back in the back of the pond. If you go to the next picture, I believe it's a little closer. You can see how they have gnawed on this thing. Now these trees, I'm telling you, these trees are like way bigger than my thigh. They're, they were pretty big around these branches that they had taken out of this tree. And I thought, man, uh, first of all, I'm glad that we don't eat trees. Because I just, just, uh, I just think uh, there was wood chips everywhere around this thing. And I thought, I could just probably hear these things going, like a chainsaw on this tree. And I thought to myself, how in the world did they do that? One bite at a time. Maybe been two of them. I don't know how many were back there. I didn't see any when I was there. But they just one bite at a time took that branch from something to nothing. And I thought about this. That as we read the word of God, we can be overwhelmed with where do I begin? You know where you begin? One bite at a time. One little piece at a time. Trusting that God will bring it all together if you're just faithful to take those steps. Let me tell you one more thing. Um, if you're a parent, we're going to be doing a thing called potluck parenting. First Sunday of March, we're going to have a gathering in the gym during the Sunday school hour for our young families, for anybody who really wants to come down there. And we're going to talk about how do you kickstart a devotional time in your household. We're going to have some different families share ideas of ways they've done it. We're going to talk about just big picture principles. It's going to be a great time, and there's also going to be food involved. So I know that'll get people there. We're Baptist people. Come on. Um, we know when food's involved, you'll be there. So first, we need to be reading the Word of God. Secondly, we need to be memorizing Scripture. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. So it is through memorizing the Word of God that we can then fight temptation. That's how Jesus did it. Like I mentioned a minute ago, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus fought temptation with the Word. Every time the devil came at him, he responded with Scripture, right? He responded with the sword of the Spirit, with the Word of God. And generally speaking, if you spend a few minutes a day trying to memorize Scripture, I promise you it'll pay off. Now you might think, well, I can't do it. I can't memorize. It's too hard for me. Trust me, you can. You probably have more things memorized than you realize. And you probably actually have more of the Word of God memorized than you realize. That as we read it over and over, it becomes part of us. If you want to know a good tool, that app right there called Fighter Verses is a great tool on your phone that you can use to memorize Scripture. It has like four or five different massive sets where you can go every week, and it takes you through one verse a week. And it has all these different quizzes and things you can do. Great resource. Third thing we can see from this is that we need to study the Bible in community. When you think about back in Deuteronomy 6, it said that we should be talking about the Word of God with each other as we sit and as we rise, as we, go, as we lay down and, and all those different things, as we're coming and as we're going, that we should be talking about the Word. In Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves, they being the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayers. And so in the very early church, the earliest church that we can find, that we know of, the, the church that was founded by the apostles, what did they do? They ate and they studied the Word. Us Baptists got it down, don't we? <laughs> they studied the Word. They, they developed the habit, the spiritual discipline of opening up the Word of God together and studying it to find out what do I need to do with my life. And I believe it's a tremendous tool to come together and to study the Word. It reminds us that we don't have to have all the answers ourselves. But in the community of faith, in the church, 
we can discuss the Bible and how it applies to our lives today. Let me just say this too, parents. You need to teach your kids how to be attentive in worship. You need to teach them that just being in the room is not enough. But they need to be attentive to what is being taught. Let me just tell you this. I'm just going to get on a soapbox for a minute. These little things right here are, are great tools. But I believe they are being the death. They, are, they are, are the death of faith for many, many kids. That they are, they are making us so busy and so consumed with what is going on outside where we are in the moment that we lose sight, we lose focus. I can tell you, in 13 years of youth ministry, life was a lot easier before kids had these. I can still remember the day, the first time I had to get onto a kid and tell them to put up their phone in youth group. And I thought, man, I didn't think, you know, no one had a phone. And now it's like everyone has these smartphones, which my goodness, wouldn't, why wouldn't you want to be looking at it all the time? It tells you everything that's going on in the world at any moment. But here's the thing, is that, I, that as I've, I've, I've worked with teenagers for year after year after year, I've realized that what, the, what is happening to our kids is they don't know how to disconnect. They don't know how to put this down. Many of them don't even know how to come into a room and talk to strangers. Because they walk into a room and they, sit, they look around and if they don't see their friends, they sit down and they open up their phone. And they stare at their phone. I can walk into the youth room some Sunday mornings and there'll be a room full of teenagers and none of them talking to each other because they're all on their phone. They're consumed by it because they realize all I have to do is pull this out and I'm perfectly comfortable. I was sitting in worship a few weeks ago. It was the week that you were preaching on having a quiet time. And I was sitting there just listening to the man of God teach the word of God and thinking, man, this is great stuff. And I looked to my right and I saw a group of, our, of young adults, college students. And I, there were four of them sitting there and every single one of them were, doing, were sitting like this. And they were staring at their phones. Now, I was smart enough to realize they weren't on the Bible app. <laughs> I know better than that because he wasn't reading the scripture and they were doing a whole lot of scrolling. And I, I could probably guess that they were on Snapchat or Instagram or something like that. And I was a little discouraged in that moment because I thought, man, these were some kids that I had had in youth group. And I'm like, don't they know better? Don't they realize that this is the word of God being taught? But fortunately, I looked to my left and I saw another group of kids who they didn't have their phones out. They had the Word of God out. And they were attentively listening to the message because they wanted to know, how do I apply this? I say it to say this. Teenagers and, and parents, because we can be as guilty of this too, is how can we expect to experience the power of God if we can't shut off the power on our phones? Because in those moments, for those kids that were sitting to my right, this had become their God. This was more important than anything that was being said about the God of the Bible in that moment. They had forgotten what they were there for. And so parents, teach your kids to listen. Teach them to engage. Teach them the importance of hearing the Word of God. Teach them to take notes. We tell them to take notes in school. Tell them to take notes in a Bible study to help them to stay tuned in. It's part of the reason why we as a church are going to begin to give you as parents 
discussion guides to follow up when we do retreats and things. We want to give you something when we get back home so we can pass the baton back to you and say, talk to your kids about what they just learned this week. Third thing, or fourth thing we need to do when it comes to the Word of God is this, is we need to discuss how the Word impacts our understanding of the world. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, it said, Teach them diligently and talk of the commands when you come and when you go, when you rise, when you lay down. You see, the Bible is not just a book that was written a few thousand years ago. It's a book that was applied, is applied today. Yes, it was written a few thousand years ago, but it does not stay there. It's something that applies to our life today. And we have to teach our kids how to see the Word. We have to learn ourselves how to see the Word world through the Word. I think of it like glasses. I wear glasses so I can see the world clearly. And many of you probably do the same. So you can see the world. I see things clearly when I look through this lens. Well, this is our lens to see the world clearly. We need to teach each other in the next generation how to look at the world through this. We have a generation of kids that are trying to figure out what is going on in this world. And they want to make sense of what they see around them. And if we don't help them, then how are they going to learn? And if we don't help them, they will go find answers somewhere else. And we may not like the answers they find. A few weeks back, we did a thing in youth group called Ask the Nerd. And I got to be the nerd. Uh, That was easy for me. But I, basically for a month, we just said, I just said, okay, we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. You just ask questions, and we'll discuss it. And I just want to share with you some of the things they ask, because I think this points to the fact that our kids really do want to know. They ask this, what's going to happen at the end of time? How do I defend my faith? Is it okay to be mad at God? How do I help a friend who I think is about to make a bad decision? Do homosexuals go to hell? Does someone who commits suicide go to hell? Can a Christian use medical marijuana? Are tattoos sinful? How do I fix a friendship after something bad happens? How do I know God's will for my life? Is once saved, always saved really biblical? And what's it going to look like when we get to heaven? Those are questions that came from our teenagers because they're trying to figure out what they're looking at around them. And so we need to help them to learn to find those answers, to dig in the Word so they can know what the Bible says. And so we need to be increasing in knowledge, but secondly, we need to be increasing in faith. And so there are things that we can do to grow in our faith. We know from Romans 10, 17, the Bible says this, that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. And so it's through the Word of God that we grow in our faith. Now, somebody might argue with you and say that it's God that gives us faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works that no man may boast. And so somebody might say to you, Well, I, should, I don't want to have to do anything. I just got to trust God to give me faith. But when we look to Scripture, there are multiple examples of times in the Old Testament especially where the people of God were told to do specific things in order to remind themselves of God's past work. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 25. Look there. Or 20, I'm sorry. It says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 20, it says, When your son asks you in time to to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. 
And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our, God, our, good, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. And so the Bible says there, when your son asks, and then what were the, the people of God instructed to do? To tell their children of God's past work. He said, we were slaves in Egypt. Flip over to Joshua chapter 4. And we find another instance very similar to this. Joshua 4, verse 1. In verse 1, it says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, in verse 2, Take twelve men from the people, each from, each, from each tribe of man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down on the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. Verse 5. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the, the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of, your, each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it, when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And so the people of Israel were instructed to build this memorial so that when their children saw it, they would have opportunity to say, let me tell you about what God's done. Let me tell you of how faithful he was in the past. So three faith-encouraging habits I believe you can make happen in your home. First of all, remember God's past work in your life. Have you ever stopped to think about what all God has done for you? Salvation, answered prayers, miracles in your life, times when he's opened doors, times when he's closed doors, times when he's confirmed his will even times when you've suffered consequence because of sin. Now, we would call this a testimony, right? Because a testimony is us declaring what we have seen. And next to the Word of God itself, I don't believe there's much anything that, that can be as powerful as our testimony to encourage our own faith as well as to encourage the faith of others. Let me tell you, my wife and I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for children. For at least five years, we prayed that prayer. And every time that we hear our boys' feet hit the floor, even way before we want them to get up on every morning, we thank God and we remember His faithfulness. We remember how hard we prayed and how many times we cried and wondered, God, why can't we have children? And we remember when He led us to choose adoption. And we remember the, the two long years that we sat waiting, wondering, is this ever going to happen? And so every time we hear their voices, we're reminded of God's 
faithfulness. I often wonder how we could adopt some of these practices that the Israelites used. Not that we would go around and build monuments and stones and all these kind of things, but how we could put things in front of us that would remind us of God's faithfulness. That could remind us of times when God acted. Back in, in Deuteronomy 6, 8, it said, You shall bind them as a sign to your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, there's something visible about that. There's something tangible about that, right? Now, we can, now I believe that the Israelites really took it too far and became legalistic in how they applied these verses, but I think the concept is biblical, that we would put things in front of us that would point us back to God that we would put reminders in front of us that would, that would help us to remember God is faithful. God is true. And so I don't think it's such a bad idea to do things. Back whenever we were praying for an adoption, we were praying for, um, for God to open up that door for us. Uh, it was back in 2009, like in the spring, summer of 2009. Uh, Kim's dad... Uh, my wife's dad brought us a little seedling in a, uh, in a pot that he had pulled out of his flower bed. I'd mentioned to him that I wanted to plant another tree in my backyard. So he brought me this little seedling of a pin oak. And so we, I planted that little seedling in the, in the corner of the yard, and I didn't tell Kim anything about it. I just thought to myself, this is going to be our adoption tree. That one day when God is going to give us children, we're going to raise these children and I'm going to tell them about their adoption by telling them about this tree. That here was a seedling that, was, that, that, that grew roots in some other yard and it was moved to our yard and became ours. Now, I, I remember every time I would go out of my yard and mow my yard, I would mow past that tree and I would pray and say, God, answer that prayer. God, be faithful to that prayer. And I still remember in August 2011 when we finally got the call and they said, oh, by the way, it's twins. <laughs> Whoops. Um, I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, God is so faithful. And I'll tell you something. That dang tree split. <laughs> I should have known when I saw the split. Oh, here we go. <laughs> you know, that tree, it, it forked. And I believe it was God's way of saying, I got this. That I'm, I'm going to be faithful to you. You prayed. And I want to honor your prayers. Now, I'll tell you today that that tree is about the ugliest tree you could see. <laughs> it's about eight foot tall. It's missing a bunch of branches. That fork doesn't look too good, but Kim won't let me trim it off. <laughs> um, but the truth is, every time I look at that tree, I remember God's faithfulness. I remember that he answered and he acted and that our God is real. And so we need to remember what God has done. Secondly, we need to be talking about our faith with others. You know, that testimony that we have is not just something we should hold to ourselves, but instead it's something we should be sharing with others. We go right back to Deuteronomy. It says, talk about it when you go about it. I think to Acts chapter 4 verse 20, when Peter and John said to the Jewish council, we cannot stop telling everything that we've seen God done. You can't make us quit because we've seen so much, we, our hearts can't help but tell. I don't know why it's been so, but for some reason the devil is placed in the minds of believers that to talk about our faith is awkward. That it's, it's not some area we should go into. That it's something to be fearful of. But instead, we've seen what God has done. And we must tell others. 
Parents, you need to be discussing your faith with your kids. Not only should we be praying with them, but we should be talking about our prayer life with our kids. They need to hear what we're praying about. Obviously, when appropriate, you know, there's sometimes that we can't get into details with our children, but they need to hear because not only are we teaching them how to pray when we do so, but we're teaching them that the prayer impacts our real lives. The church is not just something we do on Sundays, but it's something that hits our life at every point. And so we need to be open up about our faith. We also need to be open about our failures whenever we possibly can. That our children need to hear the fact that we are not perfect. That we sin. And they need to hear how God responds to that sin. I believe that it can teach our children the grace of God. It can teach our children the importance of repentance. If we are open and vulnerable at times, I once again, when appropriate, to let our kids know, you know what, I failed. I messed up. I sinned. But God's forgiven me because of His faithfulness. And then lastly, I'll say this. That if we want to strengthen our faith, we need to learn how to lovingly deal with doubt in our house, among our family. One of the greatest concerns I hear from parents at times is that question. What do I do when my kid doubts God? What do I do when my kid comes up and says, I don't know if I believe this Bible. I don't know if this is all true. I don't know if God's really going to be there for me. I don't know if I can really trust this. And that can be a terrifying moment for a parent because you think everything's about to come unraveled. But that's exactly where your faith comes in. Because when they hear of God's faithfulness in your life, it can strengthen their life. Now part of the temptation can be to overreact in that moment, right? Oh, how could you think such a thing? Oh my goodness, I can't believe you would say that. But I believe that's exactly what we shouldn't do. Because when we do, we teach our kids that our home is not the place to talk about doubt. Kent Hughes, who's a pastor and a guy who writes commentaries, he, wrote, he said this when it comes to doubt. He said, dealing with doubt requires that there be a dialogue, a two-way conversation. Resist the parental impulse to lecture, assure death to dialogue. Listen, and we mean truly listen with, with cons- consistent eye contact. Follow what your child is saying, even if, you, it does not seem, even if it seems illogical or boring. At the same time, never patronize. Listen intently, intensely and patiently to an illogical argument or doubt. But then, do not refrain from gently explaining what you believe and why. Also, resist the compulsion to get in the last word. Last words rare, rarely settle anything. We have to be their safe space. Their place where they can open up. Because once again, just like I talked about a minute ago, if they can't come talk to us, then where will they go? Somewhere out there. And what will they hear? Most likely not something that goes along with the Word of God. We have to learn to help them find the answers. Growing our faith can be a a tricky thing. It can be something that we feel like we don't know where we're going. But the truth is, is that we all can do something. This morning as we come to a time of invitation, I want to invite you to bow your heads and just for a moment, just to think about your life. And I want to ask you this, what are you doing right now? What have you done this past week to put yourself in the Word of God? 
Have you been reading the Bible? Have you been memorizing the Bible? Have you been talking about it with others? Studying the Bible? Have you been helping your family to take the Bible and apply it to today? I want to challenge you this week to pray asking what can you do differently this week that will bring you closer to Christ than you were last week. And when it comes to your walk of faith, in your heart, what are you doing to remind yourself and also those around you that God is real, that He lives and He acts right here today? Sometimes we read all these miracles in the Old Testament, we see all these amazing things, and we wonder, why is this not happening today? Why, why are we not seeing this? And it can make someone think this is all made up. But no, the truth is, God has already done all He needs to do in Jesus Christ. And He's given us His Word so that we can know that He is faithful. And what are you doing to teach the next generation that our God is the only God, the powerful God who always keeps His Father, as we come to this time of invitation, I pray that we would each search our hearts, that we would each ask ourselves, what are we doing to grow in our faith? God, I pray that you would burden us to want to be in the Word, that tomorrow morning or even this afternoon, we would sit down, we would find time, we would begin to develop that habit to open up the Word and to consume it one bite at a time. And Father, I pray for those in this room who may not be believers in Christ, Father, I pray that today would be that day they would begin their faith journey. If they would come down this aisle, they would want to talk to me or Brother Jack or Gary and, and want to know more about how they can follow Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. How they can receive the forgiveness of sin that only Jesus can give and make Him the Lord and Master of their life. Father, we pray that You would move in this time of invitation. It's in Christ's name we, we ask these things.